This month is a continuation of last month's ghost stories. Late November ghost stories here on People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, D.B. Spitzer. This episode is brought to you by The Shrink Next Door on Apple TV, a 2021 drama inspired by the true story of Marty and the therapist who turned his life around, then took it over. When he first meets Dr. Ike, Marty just wants to get better at boundaries. Over 30 years, he'll learn all about them and what happens when they get crossed. Check out The Shrink Next Door, only on Apple TV. Check us out on Facebook.com and check the show notes for the sponsors who help keep us on air and find out how you can help. And also check out Taza Chocolates Holiday Stuff. They've got all kinds of stuff. Hey, guess what? Here's the show. Here we go. Read by Dale Grothman. Charles Ashmore's Trail by Ambrose Bierce. The family of Christian Ashmore consisted of his wife, his mother, two grown daughters, and a son of 16 years. They lived in Troy, New York, were well-to-do, respectable persons, and had many friends, some of whom, reading these lines, will doubtless learn for the first time the extraordinary fate of the young man. From Troy, the Ashmores moved in 1871 or 1872, to Richmond, Indiana, and a year or two later to the vicinity of Quincy, Illinois, where Mr. Ashmore bought a farm and lived on it. At some little distance from the farmhouse was a spring with a constant flow of clear, cold water, whence the family derived its supply for domestic use at all seasons. On the evening of the 9th of November, 1878, at about nine o'clock, young Charles Ashmore left the family circle about the hearth, took a tin bucket, and started toward the spring. As he did not return, the family became uneasy, and, going to the door by which he had left the house, his father called without receiving an answer. He then lighted a lantern, and with the eldest daughter, Martha, who insisted on accompanying him, went in search. A light snow had fallen, obliterating the path, but making the young man's trail conspicuous. Each footprint was clearly defined. After going a little more than halfway, perhaps seventy-five yards, the father, who was in advance, halted, and elevating his lantern, stood peering intently into the darkness ahead. "'What is the matter, father?' the girl asked. This was the matter. The trail of the young man had abruptly ended, and all beyond was smooth, unbroken snow. The last footprints were as conspicuous as any in the line. The very nail marks were distinctly visible. Mr. Ashmore looked upward, shading his eyes with his hat held between them and the lantern. The stars were shining. There was no cloud in the sky. He was denied the explanation which had suggested itself, doubtful as it would have been, a new snowfall with a limit so plainly defined. Taking a wide circuit round the ultimate tracks, so as to leave them undisturbed for further examination, 
The man proceeded to the spring, the girl following, weak and terrified. Neither had spoken a word of what both observed. The spring was covered with ice, hours old. Returning to the house, they noted the appearance of the snow on both sides of the trail its entire length. No tracks led away from it. The morning light showed nothing more. Smooth, spotless, unbroken, the shallow snow lay everywhere. Four days later, the grief-stricken mother herself went to the spring for water. She came back and related that in passing the spot where the footprints had ended, she had heard the voice of her son and had been eagerly calling to him, wandering about the place, as she had fancied the voice to be now in one direction, now in another, until she was exhausted with fatigue and emotion. Questioned as to what the voice had said, she was unable to tell, yet averred that the words were perfectly distinct. In a moment, the entire family was at the place, but nothing was heard, and the voice was believed to be an hallucination caused by the mother's great anxiety and her disordered nerves. But for months afterwards, at irregular intervals of a few days, the voice was heard by several members of the family, and by others. All declared it was unmistakably the voice of Charles Ashmore. All agreed that it seemed to come from a great distance, faintly, yet with entire distinctness of articulation. Yet none could determine its direction, nor repeat its words. The intervals of silence grew longer and longer, the voice fainter and fainter, and by midsummer it was heard no more. If anyone knows the fate of Charles Ashmore, it is probably his mother. She is dead. The End of Charles Ashmore's Trail by Ambrose Bierce Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Read by Dale Grothman. The Dead Woman's Photograph by W. Bob Holland. Virgil Holt is a photographer's assistant up in St. Paul, and a man of a good deal of taste. He has been in search of the picturesque all over the West, and hundreds of miles to the north in Canada, and can speak three or four Indian dialects, and put a canoe through the rapids. That is to say, he is a man of an adventurous sort and no dreamer. He can fight well and shoot well, and swim well enough to put up a winning race with the Indian boys, and he can sit all day in a saddle 
and not dream about it at night. Wherever he goes, he uses his camera. The world, Hoyt is in the habit of saying to those who will sit with him when he smokes his pipe, was created in six days to be photographed. Man, and especially women, was made for the same purpose. Clouds are not made to give moisture, nor trees to cast shade. We were created for the photographer. In short, Virgil Holt's view of the world is whimsical, and he doesn't like to be bothered with anything disagreeable. That is the reason that he loathes and detests going to a house of mourning to photograph a corpse. The horrible bad taste of it offends him partly, and partly he is annoyed, having to shoulder, even for a few moments, a part of someone's burden of sorrow. He doesn't like sorrow, and would willingly canoe five hundred miles up the cold Canadian rivers to get rid of it. Nevertheless, as assistant photographer, it is often his duty to do this very kind of thing. Not long ago he was sent for by a rich Jewish family at St. Paul to photograph the mother who had just died. He was very much put out, but he went. He was taken to the front parlor where the dead woman lay in her coffin. It was evident that there was some excitement in the household and that a discussion was going on, but Holt wasn't concerned and so he paid no attention to the matter. The daughter wanted the coffin turned on end, in order that the corpse might face the camera properly. But Holt said he could overcome the recumbent attitude and make it appear that the face was taken in the position that it would naturally hold in life. And so they went out and left him alone with the dead. The face was a strong and positive one, such as may often be seen among Jewish matrons. Holt regarded it with some admiration thinking to himself that she was a woman who had been used to having her own way. There was a strand of hair out of place, and he pushed it back from her brow. A bud lifted its head too high from among the roses on her breast, and spoiled the contour of the chin, so he broke it off. He remembered these things later very distinctly, and that his hand touched her bare face two or three times. Then he took the photographs, and left the house. He was very busy at the time, and several days elapsed before he was able to develop the plates. He took them from the bath in which they had lain with a number of others, and went to work upon them. There were three plates, he having taken that number merely as a precaution against any accident. They came up well, but as they developed he became aware of the existence of something in the photograph which had not been apparent to his eye. The mysterious always came under the head of the disagreeable with him, and was therefore to be banished, so he made only a few prints and put the things away out of sight. He hoped that something would intervene to save him from attempting an explanation. But it is a part of the general perplexity of life that things do not intervene as they ought, and when they ought. So one day his employer asked him what had become of those photographs. He tried to evade him, but it was futile, and he got out the finished photographs and showed them to him. The older man sat staring at them a long time. Holt, he said at length, 
You're a young man, and I suppose you have never seen anything like this before, but I have. Not exactly the same, but a similar phenomenon have come my way a number of times since I went into the business, and I want to tell you there are things in heaven and earth not dreamt of. Oh, I know all the Tommy rot, cried Holt angrily. But when anything happens, I want to know the reason why and how it was done. All right, said his employer. Then you might explain why and how the sun rises. But he humored the young man sufficiently to examine with him the bath in which the plates were submerged and the plates themselves. All was as it should be, but the mystery was there and could not be done away with. Holt hoped against hope that the friends of the dead woman would somehow forget about the photographs, but of course the wish was unreasonable, and one day the daughter appeared and asked to see the photographs of her mother. Well, to tell the truth, stammered Holt, those didn't come out as well as we could have wished. But let me see them, persisted the lady. I'd like to look at them anyway. Well, now, said Holt, trying to be soothing, as he believed it was always best to be with women. To tell the truth, he was an ignoramus where women were concerned. I think it would be better if you didn't see them. There are reasons why. He ambled on like this, stupid man that he was, and of course the Jewess said she would see those pictures without any further delay. So poor Holt brought them out and placed them in her hand, and then ran for the water pitcher, and had to be at the bother of bathing her forehead to keep her from fainting. For what the lady saw was this. Over the face and flowers and the head of the coffin fell a thick veil, the edges of which touched the floor in some places. It covered the features so well that no hint of them was visible. There was nothing over my mother's face, cried the lady at length. Not a thing, acquiesced Hoyt. I know because I had occasion to touch her face just before I took the picture. I put some of her hair back from her brow. What does it mean, then? asked the lady. You know better than I. There is no explanation in science. Perhaps there is some in psychology. Well, said the lady, stammering a little and colored. Mother was a good woman, but she always wanted her own way, and she always had it, too. Yes. And she never would have her picture taken. She didn't admire herself. She said no one should ever see the pictures of her. So, said Holt meditatively, well, she's kept her word, hasn't she? The two stood looking at the pictures for a time. Then Holt pointed to the open blaze in the grate. Throw them in, he commanded. Don't let your father see them. And don't keep them yourself. They wouldn't be good things to keep. That's true enough, said the lady slowly, and she threw them in the fire. And then Virgil Hoyt brought out the plates and broke them before her eyes. And that was the end of it, except that Hoyt sometimes tells the story to those who sit beside him when his pipe is lighted. The End of The Dead Woman's Photograph by W. Bob Holland